Blog Talk Radio. Security, condition three. Thank you. Security three, sir. General quarters three. Intruder alert. GQ three. Intruder alert. Ah, my lovely doorman, you're going to think intruder tonight. Good evening and welcome once again to Madam Perry's (laughs) Salon, the podcast with more celebrities than the inauguration. I am your host and cruise director, Madam Perry, but you can call me Jennifer Perry or or J-Mod, or if you're musicians, call me JP, but welcome. I am glad to talk to you, and if you're listening live tonight, uh, or you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, if you see that hot pink or fuchsia rectangle with the word follow, um, and you haven't followed, please do if you'd like to know ahead of time when I'm having a lot of groovy people on. Uh, One of the things I hate is when people say, uh, well, hate's a strong word, but when they say, oh, I wish I'd known so-and-so was going to be on, um, well, you could still download it. Yeah, but I wanted to call. Well, this way you'll know ahead of time if you follow Madam Perry Salon on Facebook or on Blog Talk Radio. You'll know. You'll know who's coming before. And, uh, you know, it's always somebody swinging here, right? Uh, We've had, oh, by the way, you know, not long ago we had Pat Duggins on, and uh, we were talking about his book um, about, he's covered every space uh, event from the beginning as as a journalist. And one of the books is uh, Trailblazing Mars and... um, it was great to have him on and talk about all the missions and so forth, but he also, um, he just won an award. He's with uh, Birmingham Public Radio, and he and his group just won uh, a journalist award, and I'm so proud of them. And uh, so we want to give him a little love and a little shout-out, and got more cool folks coming soon. Thanks to you for following and uh, saying hello to all my people. There and now... Tonight, tonight, tonight's guest is somebody um, I met through another wild man that's been on here. Yes, wild man, author, adventurer, <sighs> part-time bon vivant, I'm sure. And uh, how am I going to describe this author tonight? Yes, it's author of sci-fi fiction, uh, fantasy. I think some suspense and and. Um, I'll tell you how other people describe it. A gritty, noir-like, well, they described this book, a gritty, noir-like novel set in an utterly fascinating and very bleak, very possible future with just enough hope. And that is how Eric Shoemaker, actor, director, and producer with Sealy Studios, described the new book, uh, 530, uh, 5.30 Return. And also, uh, Mary Fan, who you may know if you've read her book, Star Swept, Lynn Nightside on the Edge of Evil. She's the producer of the Brave New Girls anthology series, and she writes, like the Hobbesian vision of life without society, 5.30 Return by William R. Hur is nasty, brutish, and short in a good way. It's a tightly written book that's somewhere between a long novella and a short novel. Yet a lot happens in those few pages with a fully realized world full of plot twists and a fascinating portrait of a very, very damaged man. So let me bring the man that created this, my guest tonight, William Hur. Welcome to Madam Perry's Salon again. Well, thank you very much, Madam Perry. <laughs> well, 
I'm delighted to have you here. This is your first time as a featured guest, but you've certainly been uh, joining the fun here before. So, you know, we have a cushion with your name on it. Um, you knew oh, how to absolutely. come to the beach. And I'm so glad. And you know, yep. when I was reading this, um, this the what Mary Fan wrote, <clears throat> she said, like the Hobbesian uh-huh. vision of life without society. Would you believe that today, uh, you know, the a word a day that Anu Garg sends out on weekdays? That was the word for mm-hmm. today, Hobbesian. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What synchronicity? So today was Hobbesian, and if you didn't know what it meant, like I didn't, or don't know, is the um, of or relating to Thomas Hobbes or his ideas, um, or grim, selfish, unrestrained, etc. After the English philosopher and author Thomas Hobbes, who lived from 1588 to 1679, who in his book Leviathan displayed a grim, doggy dog view of human nature. Yeah. Synchronicity. To be to be honest, 5:30 return the the book. It's still out in. Uh, it should be on sale in August, and I've set a publication date for pre-order uh, for. Uh, sorry, it should be out in October. I've set a pre, uh, pre-order uh, publication date of August. However, for some reason, you can pre-order it now, so you're more than welcome to if you want. Um, oh, it's good. actually uh, yeah, it's actually my uh, my homage to uh, uh, to Mickey Spillane's "I the Jury." <clears throat> I read "I the mm. Jury" and I said, you know what, this really needs to be remade, and I have just the short story that I want to adapt to it, and I did, and the rest is. Just what it is. All right. So, <clears throat> so pardon me. It seems like it's to your surprise that it is available for pre-order now. Yes, you can't okay. actually order it and get it delivered yet. It is available for pre-order, and yeah. uh, people will just have to wait. Um, it's, it's going through the entire publicity track and marketing track right now. And uh, I have a, a friend who's a very good marketer, and she's taking care of the marketing track. So we'll see what happens. Excellent. That's great. Okay. Then, um, okay, we got that information. Now, from your website, I have this uh, bio of you. And just to read it, I put this on the information I put out. And I put, visionaries, migrants, soldiers, and thieves. Will, as his friends call him, surrounds himself with all of these and more, obsessed with the, quote, wisdom of the lowest classes, quote, views the world as a perennial outsider. I know that. I've always had that oops, wrong planet feeling myself. Um the, the wisdom of the lowest classes. I like that phrase, and it's in quotes. And I don't know. I like to know how you mean it, because to me, it means the people that have to have to have their wits about them to struggle to get by and beat the system where they have a chance. And a good way to look at society as a whole. I've I've been studying society my entire life because I completely don't understand it. <laughs> so if I don't understand something, I, I, I have to study it. So I've been studying it my entire life, and I uh, look at it with a very Lebanian, Lebanian, I don't even know if that's a word, but it is now, a Lebanian outlook, uh, Gustav Laban. He's, uh, his philosophies are something that I weigh everything against. But if you view society as a ladder, <clears throat> those who are near the top of the ladder those who control everything around us, regardless of what what form of uh, government we're under, uh, those at the top of the ladder can see the farthest and know the least about what is happening below them. Those who are at the very bottom see everything absolutely the clearest, but can see no farther than their own face. Uh, and uh, that is uh, those those people on the lowest rungs, those people who. Uh, those people who, <clears throat> uh, in the Maslowian uh, pyramid, uh, are how do I put this? Who 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 are constantly looking for food and shelter and aren't able to move beyond that? They have the the firmest grip on what it is to be a human being, what it is to what it is to need to want and to see that want and need in others and be able to address it in a, in a firsthand basis. Well, the people at the lowest rung of the ladder don't give to the United Way. They just give to each other. Uh, and uh, they aren't constrained by a government which 
wants to give on their behalf or wants to control their giving. They simply do for each other because if they don't, they die. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. I respect that. And that is the wisdom of the lowest class. If you say something, it is automatically true until it's worth arguing with somebody to say it's not. You know, you just accept whatever anybody says. For right now, that is true. You said you're the king and queen of cheese. I absolutely believe you're the king of queen of cheese. And fair day to you, sir. But, (laughs) you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't mean you absolutely believe it. It means you're going to treat each other with respect. And uh, if your entire entire life is bound up in believing that you are the king and queen of cheese, well, who am I to destroy that life or to destroy that illusion? I see. I always consider myself an armchair sociologist. Until I went to college and now I'm an armchair ethnographer. And I feel like that, yeah, you, you do the same. You study people. And I, and I think in a way to, to understand. Uh, okay. 530. Uh, how, I'd like to know how you would describe 530 return. 530 Return is a book about addiction and corruption and the way that the two feed off of each other. That is the overarching theme. Uh, Within that theme, it is a story of a man, a recovering addict, a disabled vet who's struggling to survive any way he can in a society that doesn't particularly want him to live and his only friend has died. And now he has to find out who did it. And he has to seek revenge. And in the in the process, he uh, in the process he's going to try and find justice for a lot more people than just his his uh, his deceased friend. Whether he succeeds or not, well, you'll have to read the story to find out. Okay, and to go a little deeper. It says um, the the <clears throat> the our the main point. Juan is a disabled vet, recovering addict. And professional extractor in Arizona's drug tourism trade. Uh, what's a professional extractor? Okay, Juan the monster, as he's known, uh, known in his particular branch of society in the Tucson uh, drug trade, uh, is an individual who will take people, drug tourists, drop them into the uh, into the drug party atmosphere of a city which has legalized absolutely everything. Think of this as, uh, in a way, a love letter to libertarians. Hey, here's what happens if you actually get everything you want. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, dropped into the drug, tour, uh, drug tourism trade in Arizona, he'll drop you in, he'll make sure that you're okay for a set amount of time, and then he will pull you out and take you to rehab and get you clean before you go home. So that uh, that is his job, and uh, people pay him handsomely to do it because he always succeeds. He always brings his people out. He doesn't lose anybody, and so he makes a good he makes good money doing it because he understands he understands that society. And I used to live in Tucson, and Tucson is a major stop in the drug conduit leading to the rest of the United States. And so I have had the opportunity to get to know the people who live and work and survive along that conduit. And uh, not that I've been a part of it, simply that I, I know them. So I'm not giving away mm-hmm. any of their secrets and I'm not turning any of them in. So I'm not afraid of, I'm going to get shot or anything, but I can add some realism to a story that people really ought to hear, even if they don't want to. Hmm. Well, that's <clears throat> interesting. Tucson, I was in Tucson in March for, I was doing a presentation at Wild Wild mm-hmm. West Con, a steampunk mm-hmm. festival. And, uh, Hmm. The things you don't know. Um, so, but but it says he. Uh, but also in the description in the story, it's like after his best friend turns up dead, um, it says Juan's most recent client has disappeared into Tucson's drug-fueled sadist subculture uh, with a yeah. drug immune infection devouring his face. How's that? Oh, you could just see. This sounds very. You could. This could be very cinematic. You know, you could see this happening while you're reading it. Um, you see the movie. How did you um, how did you come up with this? A thing, something to eat, uh, um, a drug immune well, infection that's eating his face. Okay, well, really, 
it began 20 years ago, uh, uh, more than 20 years ago, in fact, almost a quarter century ago. I sat down and I began working on a story called, short story called 530 Return. And it was about a cabbie who falls in parental love with a child he has to ferry back and forth every day. Okay, not, 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 not pedophilia, but a parental form of love with this child, mm-hmm. uh, autistic child. And it lacked something. It lacked pathos, it lacked uh, urgency. And I never, actually, uh, I never actually sent it out to be published. I just filed it away and boom. There's, and then uh, I picked it up five years ago and I reread it and I said, you know what, this would be really good, but it needs something else. And I started pulling it around in my head and uh, running through it. And then uh, last year, I sat down to work on book three of the Broken Throne series, <clears throat> and uh, I hit this wall where I know exactly what I have to write and know exactly how I have to write it. I just cannot make my fingers do it. Something is in the way. And when I get a case of writer's block like that, I stop, I set whatever I'm working on aside, and I work on something completely different for, uh, for a little bit, and then I move back to it. Well, in this case, I sat down and I said, okay, let's work on 530 Return. And I wrote the first sentence. I was working the day that Sammy died. I don't remember anything after that. However, two days later, I woke up from my keyboard. Uh, my son had brought me in food four times. My wife had refilled my, uh, my percolator twice. And uh, I had an ashtray that was full to the brim with cigarettes. And I had a completed book sitting in front of me. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> I... I uh, I, uh, I read through it and I said, you know what, this, this is actually pretty good. So, you know, I corrected a few spelling errors. I sent it off to the editor and I said, okay, let's see what she thinks. And she said, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. And the rest is history. And here we have 530 return. Magnificent. Oh, by the way, if you're listening live tonight, and this is uh, Monday, May 21st, <clears throat> you can call and talk to Will Hare. Uh, the number is 646, excuse me, Will Hare. The number is 646 646- Seven one six nine nine two two six four six seven one six nine nine two two. Block Talk Radio assures me it's a free call within the continental U.S. And um, I noticed when you've visited before, we've, we've had some lively conversations, especially when Jay Smith, uh, your pal and mine, has been on. So um, yeah, feel free to call in and, and uh, you know chat. Um, so that's amazing. That is just uh, and and what a family you have. You know, I guess your your wife and your son. You know, they 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 know this. They know you. They love you like you are, and they just kept bringing fueling you to keep you going. Well, they're familiar when I get into one of my writing uh, one of my writing since many authors are able to sit down every day and punch out two three thousand words you know, and uh, just plod along towards their destination. <clears throat> I don't really have that. Uh, I don't really have that luxury. Uh, when I get the opportunity to sit down and write, it's usually for a week at a time, after which I'm going to be so busy that I won't have time to continue. So I've got to finish whatever I'm doing when I sit down. And so I focus in and I just start writing, 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 writing. My longest stint was 120,000 words, which became 140,000 words over a week and a half. My shortest stint, two days uh, uh, in between. I mean, the screenplay that I wrote uh, took one day to write the first half, two days to write the second half, and two months to uh, revise to uh, to the point where it's currently at. <clears throat> I also have a screenplay which is under uh, which is under option at the moment to Sealy Studios. So there you go. Yay! <clears throat> I'm afraid right. I can't. I can't. I'm afraid I can't talk about it. However, Eric Shoemaker may call up to uh, uh, to discuss it if he likes, and if he does, then I will not stand in that way. But I won't discuss it otherwise because hey, I don't be what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not. <laughs> Eric, we're here six four six seven one six nine nine two two. Yes, I understand. I, I mean the the NDAs I've signed over the last fifteen years, and in fact, I worked on a TV, a Netflix TV show a couple of weeks ago, <clears> and signed an NDA. And I want to tell people, I said, look, I can't tell you anything. I promised I wouldn't tell. I had a big NDA, you know, non-disclosure. You can't tell this, can't tell that, can't tell anything about it. So I said, all I can show you, uh, all I could put on was uh, a picture of a dog that was walking to the lobby of the hotel where we were filming. 
and they called it the Hotel Corgis. This is the best I can do to take you there because this won't it won't air on Netflix until October. So uh, yeah, I've gotta gotta keep a tight secret. Are you good at keeping a secret, Will? Um, I can be. I can be. It all depends. Uh, I remember uh, first time I was picked up by a publisher. I went ahead and I told everybody because they hadn't told me not to say anything. And she said, like, oh, well, I guess you stooped me. And I said, oops, uh, does this mean I'm dropped? She says, no, 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 I'm good. Just don't do it again. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> it helps. Okay. I have been known to give away to give away secrets without knowing I wasn't supposed to, but I don't, I don't tell secrets on purpose. All right. Well, I, I believe you there. I can't imagine you would do that. Um, I think that I get the feeling that, that you have great value of your friends. Uh, I and believe then, that then, there are there, there are no possessions that you can take with you except uh, take with you past death except for friendship because uh, that lasts to your family. So you treasure your friends the most and you don't worry about the rest. I agree. I think the older I get, the the more I value good friends, good people. You know, I I have. Um, I don't want to say I've heard a lot of stories about you, but a few few little bits have come my way. For one, and I need to know <laughs> if this is true or not, because I never know if people are just pulling my leg, you know, seeing how gullible the Southern girl is. But uh, it says, you've been struck by lightning, run over a truck, hit by a water spout, and once, excuse me, debated, debated a bear and been mugged by yes. a cow. Yes. I feel like this is an episode of To Tell the Truth or something on, on the old <laughs> no, game no, well, show network. My stories, I embellish, but I don't lie. Okay, I love to embellish things. And the simple fact of the matter is my debate with the bear uh, happened to consist of only one word repeated over and over and over by both of us. <clears throat> he said, hmm, peanut butter jelly sandwich. And I said, hmm, peanut butter jelly sandwich. And he said, peanut butter jelly sandwich. And I said, peanut butter jelly sandwich. And he, he stood up and he said, peanut butter jelly sandwich. And I took my uh, peanut butter jelly sandwich and I shoved it in my mouth. And I said, peanut butter jelly sandwich. And uh, he kind of went down and he turned around. He walked away and he looked back at me and he said, dude. And then he, he was gone. But that was pretty much it. Just I was not in the mood to give up my peanut butter jelly sandwich. Yeah, no kidding, and uh, and especially now <clears throat> a bear that the man that's saying peanut butter jelly sandwich. I'm I'm getting the feeling that was, was this a bear that maybe had on a, a, a bow tie and no pants? No, <laughs> no, I wasn't that drunk. No, you know, yeah, yeah, you you have to trans you have to translate a little bit for the bear. I mean, I mean the bear saying, I mean, but he's he's doing pretty close uh, pretty close to. Complete words. It was a it was a big old grizz. It's not not nothing. Uh, <clears throat> it was a it was a big old grizz. It wasn't a grizz that was particularly threatening. It wasn't a mama grizz uh, after her uh, baby. Because if it was, I would have been up a tree shouting down from that tallest branch. Peanut butter jelly sandwich. But uh, anyways, I mean, life is an adventure. Life is always full of adventure. You just have to be willing to walk along with it. I mean, you'd be ready for it and, or be open to it and it'll happen to you every single time. It'll happen to you every <laughs> single time. You just have to not be afraid of it. <laughs> oh, well, well, I've got a, um, I've got a <clears throat> blog called memoirs of a misanthrope. So yeah, I just, <laughs> people go, where do you come up with these stories? I said, you know, when you just appreciate the weird stuff that happens around you, the things that happen, not the way you went, wanted them to or meant for them to, to me, it's just like a little gift of humor from somewhere, from Loki, from God. I mm-hmm. don't know where, but I'm getting something, you know, uh, something to make me laugh. You just got to see the, you just got to see, you know, the the story to it. Now, um, I've got somebody that says, that's messaging, you know, sometimes people message in um, comments or questions if they can't get to a phone like maybe they're at work and can't get on the phone or something like that but uh or they're driving and so this person and you i'll bet you can probably guess who it is said ask him to tell the tarantula story oh for crying out loud oh for crying out loud okay this is either uh this is either uh jay smith or uh 
either Jay Smith or uh, Anne-Marie Brandt from Brandt Marketing, uh, both of which I was in college with <clears throat> for, a, uh, for an extended period of time. We worked together on a uh, newspaper called The Fourth Estate. Now, you have to understand that back in those days, uh, I didn't really care about people all that much as much as I do today. I mean, yes, I was, I was very loyal to my friends. It's just that I really didn't care how my actions affected other people. You know, I wasn't mean about it, but I was definitely pointed. And in this case, Anne-Marie Brandt was an editor on Fourth Estate, uh, which is a college newspaper. And Jay Smith had brought in and set on a shelf a fossilized tarantula, <clears throat> a formerly alive, slowly decomposing uh, thing that nobody would no nobody in their right mind would want to touch would want to touch so uh as a practical joke i uh i went ahead and i used a pair of pencils kind of like chopsticks i lifted it up <laughs> i moved it over and i set it on Anne marie's desk on top of a plate of food that she had brought in oh. set down and left to go use the bathroom <laughs> um jace jay smith Walked in, well, ran in, approximately 15 minutes later, when he heard her screaming at the top of her lungs. <laughs> She's standing on her chair, pointing at it and screaming. I'm rolling around on the floor, <laughs> laughing, laughing. She's already fired me. Okay. She's already fired me. I just let her laughing and I can't stop laughing. And nobody else is in the room. Just Anne Marie on the chair screaming and firing me. Me rolling around and Jay scratching his head saying, Okay, how the hell am I gonna get this figured out? So uh and that that's the tarantula story. Yeah. I can't believe but, you know it's not not my Jay Smith. Yes, that's your Jay Smith. That's your Jay Smith. Jay Smith was uh, Jay Smith was the one who got me drunk and then uh, and, and then set me loose on the world. Okay, uh, he he would get me he would get me drunk at parties and set me loose uh, on people just to see what happened and then kind of chuckle at me and laugh at me. That's Jay Smith. Yeah, you see, you think he's sweet and mild mannered, but Jay Smith he has he has an evil streak to him. Oh yes, he does. He seems so shy and dignified. Yeah, oh, yes, shy and dignified and willing to live vicariously through those of us who are not. <laughs> or, or as my great-grandmother used to say when you talk about my brother's coming up with some kind of plan or whatever, she could, I could just see the devil dancing <clears throat> in his eyes. So, uh, okay. But. So now, okay, now are are you gonna are you gonna tell me that Jay or Anne Marie had anything to do with this cow mugging incident? Report? No, they did not. No, they did not. Um, I was actually uh, driving through Nevada and uh, <laughs> uh, backwoods Nevada, dusty, dirty road, and there is a cow standing in the middle of the road, and he refuses to move. And so I uh, lay on the horn, walk, walk, walk. He doesn't move. In fact, he takes a step closer. I get out of the truck and I start chasing him around. And he's like, oh, hell no. And he starts chasing me around. <laughs> and we tussle a little bit. And finally, I get him off to the side. And I'm like, ah, finally. And he butted me a few times, trying to catch me with, my horn, with his horns. But I'm ex-radio. Okay, I know how to deal with cows. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, and so I, 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 get, I get back in my truck and I zoom down the road. I get about 50 miles down the road. Okay, and I realized, son of a BF, he got my wallet. (laughs) I have to turn around, drive 50 miles back, find the exact spot where this happened, get out of the truck, walk around in the middle of the dark with a little flashlight until finally I find my wallet, because you don't want to lose your wallet uh, in my my day job. Uh, Find my wallet, put it back in my pocket. Climb back in the truck, go on down the road. Yeah, mugged by a cow. Mugged by a cow. I think that the cow, personally, I think the cow just had a problem with uh, with the fact that it's made out of leather. Totally understand that. Doesn't mean that I forgive him. Just means that well, yeah. I'll be more careful. You know, this sounds like an urban <clears throat> legend or something, or or something that people would come up with in a hazing. 
Most of my life's kind of like that, yeah. When my, when, <laughs> when my wife and I first met, she didn't know a whole lot about me. <clears throat> and she didn't, you know, we, we, we were getting serious very quickly. We, we were married after three months of our first date, uh, but uh, within three months of our first date. But uh, she she just, she was just getting to know me. She just she didn't know a whole lot about me. And I was like, you know, you don't need to know all about me. All you need to know is that I love you and you love me, and that's all we need to know. We need to worry about. And she pushed. And so finally, I went ahead and I said, okay, here's everything I've done in my life. Here's everywhere I've been. And I listed it out. It took a lot, like five pages, you know. And she read through it and she said, I read through this and I thought, he's got to be full of BS. I'm trying to trying to be nicer. <laughs> He's got to be full of BS. She's Nobody saying, has done all of these things. Okay. Right. <clears throat> right. And then, yeah. And then she says, and then I started talking to your friends, and they're mm-hmm. corroborating all of it. And I'm like, who the hell am I dating? You know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it's it's just the life I lead. Uh, long ago, I decided I would rather regret things that I had done and regret what I had not. And because of that, I am, I'm one of those people who's just open to new experiences and just, I'll try anything. Now, I'm not so much a bohemian as I am an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> anyways. All right. We we spent and, half an hour talking about my past. Uh, why don't we uh, Why don't we move on to something other people might relate to? Like uh, I don't know. Uh, how is it that you maintain your youth so amazingly well? I mean, you're 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 you you've been 21 for probably the last 10 years. Uh, is it because of a certain kind of vitamin? And if so, where can I get that? I'm supposed to ask you that. That people want to know that about Oh, no, you? no. <laughs> okay. No, I was asking that about you. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Well, <laughs> my advice is don't hold a grudge. That'll age people. I've seen it age a lot there of people, know, holding a grudge. Don't look 21, I know that, but don't hold a grudge is my advice. I've seen too many people get Life's sick and ill. Short. Life is too okay, short. Okay, how about, how about this? Your advice for aspiring authors. Uh, okay. Uh, I've actually given this advice to several authors, and that is writers are cool. Writers are unimaginably cool. Writers are the coolest people on the face of this earth. You should aspire to be a writer always. You will be the hit of the party. Everybody will think you're the smartest person in, uh, in the room. Uh, you will have deep, deep thoughts squirreled away on notebooks, and only the elect will be able to see them. <laughs> Authors, on the other hand, suck. <clears throat> Authors will misspell their own name on a manuscript. Authors will put out the most pedantic uh, tripe that you have ever read. Authors will sacrifice, their, uh, will sacrifice their values for a quick cuddle in the back seat with a publisher. So be a writer. Mm-hmm. Don't be an author. The only thing that makes an author worthwhile is that they aspire to suck less. That's, that's well, that, that's Each that's time we publish, we have. try to suck less. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And so, uh, I mean, if you want to be a writer, you'll be cool. If you want to be an author, you'll be well-known, but not always for the reason you want. Finish what you're working on. Submit it. Cry a little bit when you get the responses. Finish something else. Submit it. Cry a little bit. And eventually, mm. you will improve to the point where you'll submit something and you won't cry. And that's mm. the entire career path right there. Wow. That's quite a goal. Okay. For, and so also for aspiring authors, for, for writers out there, <clears throat> um, here's one thing I bet people I – mean, I'm sure people want to know. Um, you know, I was wondering about 530 Return. Was this real people? Is this fiction? But it's uh, it, it's based on real situations. But of course, I think you know fictional names. I'm guessing, or fictional uh, people. The, many of the lo- many of the locations actually exist, although I have used them fictitiously. Uh, I'm not going to say which ones. However, natives of Tucson will probably recognize several locations. 
Um, <clears throat> they're used fictitiously, as I said, and they are not uh, actively used in the uh, in the drug trade. Uh, like I said, the illegal drug trade moves through Tucson to Phoenix, and uh, Tucson is just a way stop on the on the way to the Phoenix distribution uh, centers, and then uh, gets dispute, distributed out all over the place, all over the West Coast from there. Also comes up through uh, through San Diego. <clears throat> Like I said, I'm I'm not a part of that drug trade, and I've never participated in it. But I sure, did sure. know the people who did, and so oh, yeah, I, sure, sure. Oh, I've, I've gone a little that. bit light on that. I haven't gone as cutthroat as it can be. Uh-huh. I mean, let's face it. Uh, if you're if you're really immersed in that, you could wake up one day to find your throat slit for no other reason than you didn't have anybody watching you while you slept. It's a very uh, cutthroat kind of business. But uh, okay, so then anyways, how? But, yeah, how- that, Go ahead. Go ahead. So say so. How? Oh, no. so, uh, so what kind of advice would you give that somebody to to make somebody? But usually, every situation is not going to be as you know sensitive <clears> to <throat> as, as that uh, in five thirty return. But um, I once heard David Sedaris talk and saying his publishers wanted him to change descriptions of certain characters because his you know he writes mm-hmm. about things that have happened to him. And it's like my memoirs mm-hmm. of a misanthrope blog. And they would say, you know, you need to change the description. He'd say, I never could think of anything. If it was a tall, if a woman had curly red hair, I'd say, mm-hmm. okay, well, she had wavy red hair or straight red hair. He couldn't come up with anything very different in his mind, you know, to uh, describe it. And I once had um, uh, I once had an author send a book to me. It was a manuscript. wasn't published. But every name, because it was based on true people that he and I both knew, but every name he would change, but it was changed similar. Like like if he had written about, if I was in it, which I wasn't, but Jennifer Perry would have ended up being Jessica Berry, you know, something that close. So what tricks and tips do you give to authors to create characters, even if they're based on someone else, so that it's not, it's so obvious. They have some originality. First and foremost, compelling – anybody can write schlock. Okay, there's a lot of schlock out there. Okay, yeah, you and I both know that there are a lot of people out there who just pump out words or just baseline hacks who are trying to be better, but, you know, they're, they, they figure that the more words they put out, the, uh, the better. So they'll put out a whole lot of words, and they don't really improve all that much. That's what I call schlock. Uh, if you aspire to write literature, I always aspire to write literature. I might not succeed. Other people are the ones who have to decide that. In fact, I might be a hack as far as everybody else is concerned, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but I always aspire to write literature. And to do that, you have to tell the truth. And if you're going to tell the truth, it has to be painfully true. You can't simply write about something you don't know and convince people that you know what you're talking about. It's very rare that that happens. If you're talking about someone who struggles with addiction, you have to have struggled with addiction uh, in order to make it convincing. Uh, In order, if you're writing about, uh, if you're writing about prejudice and bigotry, you have to have both experienced it. You have to have experienced it from both ends. You have to, at one time in your life, been prejudiced against somebody or something, which was irrational, and you have to have been the victim of that prejudice as well. Do you want to write about what it's like to be bullied? You have to have been bullied, and it's even better if you have bullied others as well. Uh, You don't set out to bully people just so you can write about it. I mean, you have to draw from your life. You have to see where you have been and explore those, and you have to look at your own warts and be willing to put them down on paper and say, you know what? I'm not proud of this, but this is true. That's what generates response. That's where people will look and say, whoa, and they'll want to read it and tell it to their friends. If you're listening live and just tuned in, I'm talking to William R. Hur. He's the author of From a Broken Land, The Captivity of Choice, um, The Collective, and uh, his newest book, which is available for pre-order, is 530 Return. And it sounds like this is going to be like nothing you've ever read before. I can tell you that. Uh, I've also got a, somebody messaging in another question. Are you ready for this? Okay. <laughs> and I know you'll know let's who see. this. Is. Okay, Ashley, I'm going to go ahead. So it, this is a message uh, 
our friend Jay Smith, author, great author, okay. Resurrection Pact. He was on recently. He he can't call in. I don't know. I think he's hiding in a closet somewhere. But he said um, he can tell you about a book signing in Tucson ahead of George R. R. Martin or when he has a pajama party where he held court with guests with his something hanging out of his boxers accidentally. Oh, that did not happen. Well, no, uh, not well. Maybe it did. I don't know. I was drunk for that. That was drunk college. Uh, <laughs> that was during a. Uh, that was uh, that was one of my uh, one of my epic parties. Uh, they became very epic very quick. Uh, the blow off scene before you blow out your brains post midterm blowout and uh, post final blowout. And usually they had a theme. One was a murder mystery. Uh, one was a lingerie party where everybody had to wear lingerie, including the men. <clears throat> and so they were playing, and they, they were all good natured, and nobody got abused or molested. However, occasionally women were walking around with one boob hanging out and didn't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and really, you know, these things happen. Uh, but, anyways, <clears throat> so, See, uh, so that's what he's talking about. Hmm? It's only after he puts both of those down that then he goes, Me? I'd go with the GRRM story. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> The George R. R. Martin, uh, he was the guest at Tucson Science Fiction Convention, which is put on by the Baja Arizona Science Fiction Association, or BASPA, uh, <clears throat> every year in November, in which I, uh, I attend as, a, uh, as an invited guest uh, each year. Uh, the, um, and George R. R. Martin was the guest of honor, and understandably, the whole place sold out. And so uh, Jay and I were sitting up there with our books all sitting up on a table ready to do our signings, and we're surrounded by people, and between us and all of the people are guards, and the guards are stopping any people from coming up to talk to us or to mm-hmm. buy our books or to get their books signed, <clears throat> because George R. R. Martin is going to be stepping onto the stage right after us, and they don't want everybody mobbing the stage before he arrives. So... People are trying to get up. I actually had one person to come up, buy a book, and I signed it for him. And uh, that was the total of my book sales that year. But George R. R. Martin, uh, eventually, I, I interviewed Jay. Uh, I, believe the, uh, I believe the interview is on my website. Uh, but I interviewed Jay for that. And, I, uh, and we sat there, and we had lots of fun not talking to anybody or getting any publicity done. <laughs> and finally, <laughs> Mr. Martin, Mr. Martin showed up. <clears throat> he had his own little chair sitting there that he was allowed to sit in. He had, he had brought over from his own home was an armchair that they put in with lots of Diet Coke around him. And uh, finally, he walked up onto the stage, <clears throat> walked over. I was drug off by security by my ear. I have pictures of that. And uh, Jay Smith, he walked up to Jay's, to Jay's books, went, <clears throat> and then walked over and sat down in his chair. So Jay was quite, was quite pleased that he was recognized with a <clears throat> by George Martin. And uh, <clears throat> for, uh, for his part, Mr. Martin is a very nice and uh, very approachable individual. Just uh, he had me thrown off stage. Not, I don't think he did it on purpose. I think security just wanted to throw me off stage. Carol Edwards was the uh, security woman who uh, – took that duty and she's since become one of my super fans, I hope. <clears throat> I imagine she is. Now, uh also if you're listening to, you know, uh the website is William R Her dot com. And of course I'll be sharing that on all of my social media. If you someplace like uh Jay claims to be where he can't write it down, maybe I will have it everywhere for you to see on Twitter and on Facebook and such. So, and uh, and again, there's uh, uh, he's the author of From a Broken Land, Captivity of Choice, uh, The Broken Throne. I have a quote here from, uh, there's a quote on your website, Mom, Dad Solving the Universe Again, Robert H.R. Hurd, just before <laughs> the explosion. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my wife has forbidden me to... My wife has forbidden me to do any further physics, uh, any further physics uh, experiments inside the house. Not that we have a house anymore, but back when we had a house, she absolutely forbade it because things were getting a little bit too dangerous. I was playing with 
I was playing with forces no mortal man can control. I don't know. But, uh, she, she was very worried, so she said no. But that's what my son, when I'm working on a uh, working on a theory, working on an idea, and I want to test it out, and I start winding coils and building, uh, building models of subatomic structures and things like that, she's like, honey, is there any chance you'll open up a open up a tear in the fabric of reality and the house will be destroyed. I said, very, very, very tiny. Okay, you're going to stop right now. <laughs> you know? Well, so. Uh, <clears throat> what, you, you know, it says uh, on the info I had about you that you are what's called functionally homeless. Does that have anything to do with true. this? Is this where your wife, uh, you did burn down a no, house? No, actually, uh, five years ago, my wife and I, we're faced with a dilemma. Our son was being scouted by Johns Hopkins, and uh, he was and he was looking at the, the uh, prospect of a full ride. However, FAFSA had put all of his uh, funding requests on indefinite hold, and didn't mm. give a reason. They just placed it under review, and it ended up being for two years. So uh, we were faced with a dilemma. Were we going to make him sit and wait and miss out on all of this because he couldn't get his funding, or were we going to make the hard decisions? And we made the hard decisions. We opened up the doors to our house. We invited people in, and we gave away absolutely everything we owned. We got rid of the house, and we became homeless. And uh, we put all of our money and all of our resources towards getting him through college. Uh, when this happened, uh, we had two choices. We could either bemoan our fate or we could just decide to make the best of it and fight our way forward. And we decided, and we chose the latter. And so we went together <clears throat> in a, uh, in trucking and saw that as the uh, easiest way to maintain ourselves and still bring in money to support him. And now it's five years later, we gross between $200,000 a year and a quarter mil. Now, five years mm. later, we've got our own truck. We're looking at expanding out, hopefully. We uh, pay taxes every year. I mean, for several years there, we didn't pay any taxes. We didn't get anything, but we didn't pay any taxes because we just didn't make enough. Uh, <laughs> and um, now, you know, we pay our taxes every year, and we're quite proud of that. And we're looking to expand a little bit if we can. And our son runs the uh, runs the business on the back end, and uh, it's, all, it's all working out. So there you go. Yeah, don't, right, don't bemoan your fate. Just find, find a way. Uh, when life gives you lemons, take those lemons, put wheels on them, and send them down the road for two bucks a mile. So <laughs> I can dig it. Well, that's great. So uh, would you say that's influenced your work or <clears throat> changed it in any way? Uh, to a degree, I do a lot of the writing from the jump seat of our truck. Uh, I focus in very, very fiercely on my plots and my characters in the time that I have to write. Uh, And I've come to really appreciate and to appreciate and empathize with the lowest classes in society. I mean, it's, it's, I I don't know how else to, how else to say it. There are things that you, there are truths that you cannot find in uh, a middle-class neighborhood. My uh, my my niece is blowing me, my my, uh, my my goddaughter is blowing me kisses as she mm. leaves. But uh, anyways, uh, sorry, so I just took a pause there. Oh. But anyways, yeah, there's truths that you cannot find in a middle class neighborhood. There are realities which you will never find in a city. You have to get out on the road. You have to meet the people who who have subsistence level living, and you have to sit and eat and move and work among them to understand that humanity is not what we see every day. Humanity is what we become when we have absolutely nothing, but we are not devouring each other. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's the only way I can put it. Yeah, I'm going to have to definitely go back and listen and write this down, that down. That's so true. <clears throat> well, um, I have taken up so much of your time, and I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and your stories, and uh, just hope that we'll have you back here again and again, whether I was, uh joining in the conversation with someone else or as a guest. I am thrilled to have you here, and don't forget, 
everyone. It's William R. Her, H-E-R-R. It's the website. It's dot .com. Um, his books, The Captivity of Choice, From a Broken Land, The Collection, The Broken Throne, and the newest, 530 Return, which sounds like a read that's going to keep you up all night till you finish it. Uh, and it is available for pre-order right now. And so uh, thank you so much, William Her. And I was going to say, um, we've got somebody... You know, your pal Jay Smith has a a, a parting uh, question before we go. Okay. It says, okay. <clears throat> okay, ask about the best fine dining experience. You know what? I'm going to make, I'm not going to ask this. I'm going to have him and you come back to someone else, and then we'll have a good roundtable story, and we can ask all about that. How's that? Uh, that, that sounds oh. great. Uh, if you put Jay and I together, Okay, on a talk show, and ask us to, and ask us to relate our face plant stories. Okay, these are stories where we have gone out and tried something and landed ignominiously and publicly on our faces on the pavement. Uh, you will get hours and hours and hours of fun, and people can listen to us and say, "Ha ha, yeah, bad things have happened to me too," and they'll feel good about their face plants. So it's rule number three: rules, <laughs> rules of life. Rule number three, if you must brag, brag about your face plants because other people will feel better about their own. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm always glad to do that, whether you know it's good or not. I, I <clears throat> better me tell. Um, thank you so much, Jay Smith. Um, Jay Smith, this, he's, he's, he's buzzed in so much tonight. Uh, thank you very much, Will Her, and I am just so glad to have you here tonight to talk with us. And uh, somewhere on the side, our little ghostly friend Jay Smith and his questions coming in. And <laughs> look forward to your next visit here at Madame Perry's Salon. I look have forward to having you. Thank you. It has been a pleasure and an honor. Do I have any parting words? Um, For people. The surface tension of water is 72 dimes per cubic centimeter. Everybody's got to